another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing welcome to another episode of and another thing the podcast that continues to set records around the world. And then, as we always do, we break those records. My name is Jody Jenkins. And my name is Tony Clement. And one thing that is for certain is that last night, I can visualize (laughs) Tony, and you tell me if I'm wrong. I can just see Peter McKay with a cigar in his mouth, (laughs) feet up on on a footstool, and just like going like life is good, baby, you know, like <laughs> yeah. something like that. Could you see that? <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. So I, I just that was a doggies and you know uh, <laughs> family. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know. I just visualize him having some big watch party that's, that's, at the federal election and walking yeah. around like slapping people on the back and being like, "What do you think of this, boys?" You know? <laughs> Now, he did campaign hard for some uh, Nova Scotia uh, CPC candidates, I should say that. True. No, no, I, I know. It's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just classic. But anyway, I know. Uh, this program is proudly brought to you by the good folks at Municipal Solutions, John Mutton and the team at Municipal Solutions. Uh, you can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And, of course, I know, Tony, that you've got a little bit more info you want to share on Municipal Solutions. I do, and I also once again want to thank our jingle composer, Briar Summers, for the jingle that starts this podcast and remind folks that her new album, From the Ashes, is out on October the 8th. Now, let's talk about Municipal Solutions because John Mutton and the crew are excellent for development services and project management. Uh, If you need a development approved or a permit expedited, Or if you need planning services with municipalities or engineering services or you need architectural services, if you have a minor variance issue or a land severance issue, and of course those building permits, go to municipalsolutions.ca. And i got to give a quick shout out to loonypolitics.com. Of course, you can find their amazing news aggregate site where you can get exclusive content, including never-before-heard episodes of And Another Thing. The only way you can listen is by becoming an annual subscriber. Use the code PODCAST and get 50% off your annual subscription. That's at looneypolitics.com. Yeah, and um, we, should, we should mention, though, that, uh, that these are completely separate podcasts that we do for them, right? That you won't you won't find them in our library here. Well, that's, and, and, that's kind of what... Yeah. Did I not... Did I not say that? The part about <laughs> you can't hear them anywhere else other than being an annual I know, subscriber. I'm, I'm trying to upsell it here, buddy. You gotcha. know, come on. I see. I see. Okay. I just, just wanted to be sure there. And yeah, you yeah. never know. You're doing a good um, job. It's okay. Before before we get into our guest, I, I just I just need clarity, Tony, because I don't I mean I could get our producer to play the tape back, but I just need clarity. Like do where like do you have to admit that I'm superior? When it comes to political intellect, or I, I just curious as to what what we left that at. Well, I think we each got some things right, and we got some things wrong. To be fair. Oh, wow! Wow! Are you still? Did you get a seat last night or something? Or <laughs> no, no. Like that. Holy smokes! I, I just, By the way, I, also I did watch you on oh. News Forum last oh, night. Oh, did you? Yes, I tuned in. 
Oh, yeah. that's nice of you. Thank yeah, you. I just, just want to say that. So in case you're wondering if it shows up on Nielsen ratings, I was the one. Okay. No, no, no. We had, I've had quite a few comments, obviously. <laughs> you're and... like, no, Jody, we had five people watching last no, night. No, so no, no, no. And of course, uh, Tanya Granick Allen was there and Catherine yes. Murray. And yes. uh, your your best friend, Stephen Taylor, was doing uh, the oh, was Taylor uh, analysis. I wonder if he listens to the show. But also, I should say, I don't want to, yeah, I got to tell you this off air, but we got an email from Robert Benzi. Okay. Just, you know, and okay. he, he he wasn't too happy about the quality of the audio of our last show with Peter no. Ken. So we, <laughs> we do apologize because that was a little rough. It I'm was not even rough. kidding. I'm not even kidding. I, I haven't read the email yet. I just saw the opening uh, line and I was like, oh, shoot. So, yeah, Robert, yeah, no. duly noted. And we have a new rule. We have a nobody new rule. can come on the show via phone anymore. So, no, I, we're not doing that anymore. We've had too many incidents where the audio quality is not up to our standards. So, yes. apologies to our faithful listeners, but uh, we're only going to go for superior audio quality from now on. Yes. So now is the point of the show where I'm 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 wondering if our guest has even stuck around or yeah, given up on us. No, it's only been four four minutes and fifty eight <laughs> seconds. Come on. So all right, Tony, I'm gonna let you introduce her. I'm looking forward to this. We have a lot to unpack on the heels yeah. of election forty four. And yeah, this should be good. So let's go. Yes, I want to extend an and another thing podcast. Welcome to Candace Malcolm who is a best-selling author, journalist, a, a nationally syndicated columnist with the Toronto Sun, and she is the founder and editor-in-chief of True North News Agency, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know what you call them in today's virtual world. She has reported from war zones, broken news stories that have made headlines worldwide and exposed major terrorist networks operating in Canada. She holds two master's degrees and, more importantly, has two children with her husband, Kaz. Welcome to the program, Candace. Thank you Welcome. so much, Tony, for the introduction. Thank you, Jody, for having me on tonight. And I, I think I, I think I have an attention span longer than five minutes, so you guys don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yes, you're, you're better than most. You're better than most. Right now, <laughs> we've, so. we've had incidents in the past, Candace. I won't get into details. But it's a great pleasure to have you on the program. Of course, we had uh, Jeff Ballingall on a few weeks ago as well and uh, know a little bit about your news organization. But maybe just to, to as a great way to start, maybe tell a little bit about your news organization and uh, give it a little bit of a plug here. Yeah, I'd love to. Sure. Thank you. So True North, uh, it's a digital news agency. We have a conservative editorial position, but our news reports are fact-based. So we put out breaking news, exclusive content. We do a lot of research, filing ATIPs, uh, you know, digging into government websites to report things that the rest of the media, the legacy media, simply ignore. And then I, I emphasize the fact that we have a conservative editorial position because it's such a rare thing in Canadian politics. There are so few places uh, where conservatives can go to get analysis, opinion, uh, news, uh, and just topics um, covered that aren't uh, designed to degrade them or denigrate them or look down, you know, look down your nose at, at conservative ideas. Instead, we, we, we 
support. We, we wear our values, we wear our ideals, and we, we don't hide those. So I think uh, we're unique in the media landscape. And aside from that, we're, we're completely digital. So we do podcasts, we do, like I said, news reports, investigative reports, uh, analysis, opinion. Uh, throughout the campaign, we had uh, some really interesting content. We hired a in-house pollster, Hamish Marshall, you guys might uh, be familiar sure. with him. And sure. yeah, he did uh, a great analysis for us of the 45 uh, writings to watch and it, it was great because uh, basically those exact 45 writings were the ones uh, that it came down to last night and of course it, it wasn't very it, the, the outcome wasn't very exciting we basically got the exact same parliament that we had uh, five five and a half weeks ago um, but but certainly having uh, an, an eye on those uh, those writings sort of understanding the, the campaigns and what they were each targeting uh, was 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 definitely an added value so so yeah we, we, we do a lot of uh, reporting a lot of work over at uh, uh, True North, our, our website is tnc.news. We have a pretty big presence on um, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. That's that's where you can find us. Right on. And your podcast, what's that called? So I do I do a daily podcast now, Tony. It's called The Candace Malcolm Show. I, I used to do it one day a week, and then it came in three days a week. And during the campaign, I, I bumped it up to five days a week, and I'm uh, sticking to that. So, so yeah, every day uh, in the morning, I record. Uh, it's, it's a brief podcast, 10, 10 15 minutes, uh, usually just of analysis. Sometimes I have a guest. Uh, on Fridays, I do a segment called Fake News Fridays, where I scan the media for the most egregious examples of uh, you know bias, spin, misrepresentation. Oh, give us an example. Oh, give us an example. I'd love to hear. Oh, there's that. so many. There's so many. Um, yeah. So, for instance, uh, last week I, I tore into the Toronto Star. They had a uh, report saying that uh, Aaron O'Toole was pushing the same lies that Andrew Shear had pushed when it came to illegal. Uh, border crossers at the um, at the border there, Roxham Road, right. and so the Toronto Star tried to claim that it was not illegal to cross the border in between. Uh, ports of entry, even though there's a huge sign um, at Roxham Road. I know this because I reported there. Um, this is a place where tens of thousands of um, refugees or, or aspiring refugees, asylum claimants, cross from the United States into Canada. They do so because there's a loophole in the Safe Third Country Agreement. Um, the Safe Third Country Agreement is a, agreement, a bilateral agreement between Canada and the U.S. that says that you have to claim asylum in the first country, the first safe country that you arrive. So you can't go through one country to get to another because you want, you, you can't go asylum shopping, basically, is right, what they call right, it. Right, um, right. And so, so Canada and the U.S. have this agreement. Most European countries also have this agreement. So if someone was coming from the United States and trying to enter Canada at a port of entry to claim asylum, they'd be turned away because you can't do that. They would just, they, they just wouldn't be allowed entry. If you cross illegally and then you're already in Canada, um, at that point when you claim asylum, Canada has to, because of other treaties that we're signatory to, they have to accept that claim. So, Candace, uh, obviously the big thing, though, is Election 44, and um, you've been following it uh, probably even more closely than Jody and I have, and we've been following it pretty closely. So love to get your your hot take on what the heck happened 610 million dollars later, basically the same parliament, at least at this uh, stage of the count. So let us know what your thoughts are. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what an incredible waste of time. What an insult to Canadians that Justin Trudeau would throw us into this unnecessary election, this vanity election. There was no reason to have an election whatsoever. No reason. He was uh, in a stable minority position. I say stable because he basically had um, unlimited support from the NDP as well as the bloc uh, to enact his left-wing agenda. So there was nothing 
there was no threat. There was nothing unstable about it. He was already allowed uh, to govern the way he wanted throughout the pandemic, uh, barely holding parliament, uh, going and retreating to his cottage, giving daily press conferences with uh, his preferred uh, legacy media friends. And th there was certainly there was certainly no pressing issue. There was no ballot question. Um, the only reason we went into that election is because Justin Trudeau and his liberal brain trust uh, saw the, their fortunes that they thought that they had. They, they thought that the um, Canadians would just be so relieved uh, to have uh, two doses, to have a, a summer where we could have gone outside and, and gone out to restaurants and sort of had some semblance of normalcy after 18 months of authoritarian lockdowns. And they totally misread uh, the public mood. So, so Trudeau plunged us into the selection for the sole purpose of getting an, a majority election, and he lost. He did not achieve his desired end. If he had any decency, if he had any honor, he would recognize that even though he won a minority government last night, it was virtually the exact same government that we had five weeks ago. Um, but but the very act of him forcing us into that unnecessary election, like you said, costing us $610 million, uh, forcing Canadians to, to really be pitted against each other in, in, in a really uh, un unfortunate way. I think the country is far more divided now than it has been in a long time. And we can get into that a well, little that's, bit. That's the other, that's the other takeaway, isn't it? That, uh, I, and let, let me put it my way because I, I feel very strongly about this and, uh, Jody and I have talked about this, but you know, it's one thing in, in political theater, you go after your opponent. I get that. So, you know, you're going to call Aaron O'Toole a bunch of names or whatever. Right. But he actually ran a whole campaign against certain sections of Canadian society. That was that was his big wedge issue. wasn't wasn't against It was incidentally against Aaron O'Toole, but he actually ran against a bunch of Canadians, right? Yeah, exactly. He demonized the anti-lockdown crowd. He misrepresented who they were, what they believed in, and he—you he, know—it's so interesting because one of the major lines of attack that the uh, liberals often throw at the conservatives is that uh, somehow they're divisive, or that they demonize a scapegoat minority people, or that they're—you know—we've we, all heard the same tropes for a long, long time that conservatives are anti-immigrant and stuff. It's obviously not true. Um, it never has been, but that—that's their line of attack. And it was—it was to me so so despicable to. To see the way that Trudeau uh, would talk about the anti-lockdown people, calling them anti-vaxxers, uh, straight out calling them racists, e even though there's not really any evidence that that, that was, I mean, there's no evidence. If people are, are protesting against heavy-handed government lockdown policies, uh, nothing to do with race. But the way that Justin Trudeau talked about them, the way that he demonized them, it really felt like an us versus them mentality that he was belittling them and blaming them basically for society's ills, saying that you might get sick, your kids might get sick because of these irresponsible, selfish people. Uh, you know, those are Canadians out there and you may disagree with them. You may think that they're wrongheaded and that they have bad information. But to, to, to completely demonize them like that as a prime minister of the country, uh, to, to scapegoat them and to sort of blame them uh, like that was really cringeworthy. If, if, if you replace, you know, the, 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 the group uh, of people who were protesting against Trudeau and protesting uh, against the lockdowns uh, with any other group of people um, and imagine the way that Trudeau is talking about them, um, it would pretty much be universally condemned by everyone uh, in Canada. And yet, uh, because these people are whatever, um, you know, and anti-lockdown and misrepresented as anti-vaccine or anti-science, um, the media kind of just uh, nods along and no one really calls out Trudeau uh, for this bad behavior. But like I said, I think that Trudeau 
was the big loser last night. And if he had any honor, any decency, he would resign because he he didn't get what he wanted. He didn't get the outcome that he wanted. He essentially lost uh, based on his own measure. Um, and, and so here we are, uh, a much more divided country, a, a poorer country, a country with less direction. And Trudeau's going to be the one to have to, to deal with a, a parliament that, that will uh, really be feeling these divides in. I, I, I really think that Canadians uh, are worse off this morning. You know, Candace, though, I, I, I agree with your analysis, but uh, I also know Justin Trudeau well enough to know that that isn't how his brain works. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, his, his speech uh, on election night was thank you for this tremendous mandate that I have. <laughs> so he's like he's not going the the route of uh, I'm sorry I did this. This was a big mistake. Uh, maybe no politician would, but certainly not Justin Trudeau. Well, he's not necessarily known for being uh, humble, having any humility or any sense of of, of those self limits. So I, I completely agree. He did the same thing in 2019, Tony. He he lost that election as well. He went from a majority government to a minority government. Aaron uh, Andrew Shear, sorry, uh, brought him down and won the popular vote. Uh, and yet, I remember on 2019 election night, he gave the same sort of speech. And last night, it, it was pitiful to say that he had a strong he he received a strong mandate. That's what he said. Uh, no, there's no strong mandate there. Um, Canadians basically basically just voted for the exact same parliament that we already had, um, which really, again, just goes to prove that we didn't need this election and no one really wanted it. Now, you have an interesting theory uh, that I'd never heard elsewhere. I was I was shocked at the red wall that was the 905 area code around Toronto. I, 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 we, uh, the Conservatives lost two seats there, Bob Soroya and Leona Alislev. Uh, and uh, did not make any breakthroughs. They had to get to Hamilton to to retain a seat uh, uh, that was there, and I guess Thornhill as well. Uh, that was about it. So, uh, what happened? It was it was as if, as you put it, and I wanted in your own words, nobody was paying attention. Yeah, well, when you look at the outcome, I mean, I mean, we're still waiting on a few seats here and there, but it, Tony, it looks it looks virtually identical, like it's eerily identical. And yes, uh, the the conservatives got shut out at the nine oh five, and I think that that comes from a more strategic era with the conservative campaign, which we can get into that as well. But but I, I said to you before the, the the recording started that it's basically like Canadians didn't pay attention to the campaign. Like you know we're we're, we're watching it day in day out. We see the polls go up, polls go down. We saw the Green Party completely implode and basically run a, a shadow campaign of, of with 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 no real substance. And yet, you know when when you look at the numbers and you, and you look at at how the the, the um, seats lined up. It's like Canadians were paying attention to the actual campaign. They just went out and voted exactly the same way as they did in 2019, right down to the green vote uh, holding up, <laughs> despite uh, all the problems within that party. So, so you know, for all of us politicos that are paying super, super close attention, I, I think that we, we perhaps uh, most Canadians just simply weren't paying attention and went back to uh, old habits and voted for exactly the same people that they voted for last time around with, with exception of course i should recognize uh, jody jenkins has been saying for weeks that the level of engagement by canadians in this election was actually going down uh as the election proceeded right jody yeah absolutely i felt that as it went on week after week even day after day especially in the last week i think more and more people were tuning out which is obviously the opposite of what i think a campaign would want but i i, I think people just got tired of it and all parties just lost uh, a lot of voters uh, just 
just lost their interest. Yeah, I completely agree, Jody. It's like what what was really what was the what was the focus of the campaign? What were the main issues? They weren't the main issues that Canadians care about. I was talking to uh, people who uh, friends who are MPs or people who went door knocking, and it's like you know the, the the issues that you hear at the door are night and day different than the ones that are being trotted out during the debate. The ones that are being focused right. on by the mainstream media, and you know we, we didn't really have a lot of discussion about uh, the, the economic future of this country. We didn't really talk a lot about energy. We didn't talk about a post-COVID economic recovery. And whenever we were talking about a post-COVID life, it was mostly focused on uh, government, uh, new government programs, more government spending, uh, more more entitlements, more programs uh, aimed at basically helping middle-class people, people who already have means, um, you know, ha- have it e- even easier. And I'm talking about things um, like universal government daycare. Um, or, or, you know, it's like, we're not talking about the economy. We're not talking about uh, how to grow the economy, how to get get more investment, make more businesses, create more jobs. We're not talking about the condition, the economic conditions uh, for growth. Uh, we're, we're kind of defaulting back to what will the government do? What will the government spend money on? And I, I mean, for me, it's very off-putting. Um, but I think that there was certainly a disconnect between what the media and what the political parties wanted to talk about uh, versus the issues that really matter to Canadians at this point in time. And because of it, because they were, weren't talking about the stuff that was in, of interest, Canadians tuned out. And also, it was it was a divisive, ugly campaign. There was the rhetoric was really um, t- tuned up, and I, I think a lot of Canadians just don't really like that sort of partisan political attacks that that, that they saw throughout the course of the campaign. Yeah, I was just quickly Tony. Yeah, I go ahead. Jump yeah. in there, just going on what Candace mentioned, and it kind of ties into some of the heat or negativity that Aaron O'Toole took on doing a lot of his reaching out to Canadians from a studio. And I I totally agree with what you're saying. What was being said at the doors versus what was being put out there by the parties didn't line up. And I, I wonder if Aaron would have been better served going to the people in a more face to face fashion. Like sometimes I wonder if these leaders, uh, what they're thinking when they don't just take the time to go knock on doors and talk to people, because that's where you find out what affects the average voter. And I'm telling you, this could be, is my opinion, but there is a huge disconnect with all parties on what actually matters to the average Canadian. Oh, I 100% agree. And I think that part of the issue, I'm going to be a little bit critical of uh, Timo Tool and, and, and the strategy that they took. Um, basically, it seemed to me like they just wanted to play it safe and they didn't want to ruffle any feathers. And when I say ruffle feathers, they didn't really care about ruffling feathers within the Conservative Party, within the base, among uh, especially Conservatives out West. Uh, but they didn't want to come up against a, a negative media cycle. They didn't want uh, journalists writing negative campaigns. So I think that part of the reason why they built that big uh, studio in in uh, Ottawa, the sort of slick look, uh, was so that they could sort of camp out there, that they wouldn't have to uh, go around the country too much and and be at risk of having one of those really negative campaigns. I I think everyone in the campaign, every party feared uh, the headline that one of their events uh, became a super spreader event, um, that one of their campaign uh, stops ended up, you know, causing a COVID outbreak, or that even something more trivial than that, that that they broke local COVID rules or that they were appearing like, uh, you know, one rule for uh, me and another rule for you and uh, flouting the COVID rule. So I, I feel like they played it extra safe, uh, perhaps because they were actually scared of that kind of thing happening, but I think more so that they didn't want the possibility of a negative uh, media headline. And because of that, 
you're right. They, they missed out on talking to the base, talking to the people at the doors, talking to Canadians and understanding uh, what it is that, that, that Canadians want or are looking for uh, from a government. And, and I think doing it from sort of Ivy Tower out in Ottawa um, really sort of cemented in the idea that, that these political parties are just very out of touch. And I think that's part of the problem. I mean, we had incredibly low voter turnout. I don't know exactly what the final numbers were. But I think it was like 58% or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, okay, you know, that's, that's, that's the number of people that, uh, you can pay pretty much that's like the, the, the ceiling in terms of, uh, sorry, that's the floor in terms of voter turnout. Like it's not right. going to get lower than that. So, yeah. uh, they, they weren't, they weren't doing much to, uh, get beyond, uh, what they're used to having, I guess. So I, I don't want to jump down a, a rabbit hole, but, um, one of the things that Aaron O'Toole was doing at that studio was having these town hall, virtual town halls with 10,000, 15,000 people on. But you, you don't think that was effective, eh? Well, I, I mean, perhaps I, 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 uh, I mean, I, I don't know who the people who were on there was. I don't, I don't know exactly what the format was because I didn't tune into many of them. But I, th- I think there's just a different feeling that you get from yeah. going to writings, talking to people. Not necessarily the kind of conversations that you're going to have on air. Like, like when when you're in front of a, a huge audience like that, uh, you, you're you're going to be on. Uh, you're not going to have candid conversations. You're not going to hear yeah. it like it really is. You might hear a, a, a different version of that. Everyone puts on, uh, you know, their best behavior, a bit of performance when they're speaking in front of a group. Uh, whereas, you know, if it's just you. And two other people at a door, you might hear something that you might uh, that you might not otherwise know and understand. So I think not having that in person, uh, you know, campaign campaign. And and look, you're right. He he did he did engage with a lot of Canadians. He did travel across the country a couple times. And uh, you know, I'm not saying that he didn't campaign at all, um, but I'm saying that it seemed like um, the, the the strategy behind that uh, setting up in Ottawa, like they did, uh, was was geared more towards not getting negative headlines as opposed right. to um, some other strategy. Any, any thoughts on the people party, the people's party of Canada and uh, their role in the election? Well, look, I, 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 I was not one of those people who spent the last couple of days of the campaign saying that a vote for Maxine Bernier was a vote for uh, Justin Trudeau. I think that people are, it's their prerogative. They have the right to support any party they want and vote for any candidate that they want. I personally am a advocate of a big conservative tent. I think we're much stronger when we're together. And, you know, it goes back to the success, uh, the incredible success of the Conservative Party of Canada, um, led by Stephen Harper, in keeping, you know, a, a fragmented group of, of people who have very different opinions, very different ideas, very different um, backgrounds and, and views of the country, keeping them all together was a very right. skillful thing that, that happened. And I, I don't think that we can uh, take that for granted. I don't think we can neglect those votes. So to me, look, if you're a freedom-loving libertarian and you thought that the last 18 months were hell and you're tired of the government telling what to do, you maybe you had a business that got shut down, uh, maybe you're just sick and tired of uh, being, being stuck at home where your kids can't go to school, they can't live their lives. Like, There's a lot of reasons why people would gravitate towards a pro-freedom libertarian message. Um, and I wish that that was coming more from within the Conservative Party. It seemed like Aaron O'Toole didn't want anything to do with that. And I, I totally understand the strategy of sort of mirroring Trudeau when it came to Trudeau's preferred wedge issue of the campaign, which was to 
uh, propose a, a vaccine mandate or some kind of vaccine passport system, starting with federal workers and then going beyond that. And Aaron O'Toole did the smart political thing by saying, okay, we're more or less going to do the same thing. And he didn't right. really take a strong position um, in support of the people who just wanted more freedom, who had had enough of that. So he, I don't think Aaron O'Toole did a very good job of appealing to libertarians. And because of that, Maxime Bernier really uh, was able to grow his his base, grow his party. He, he had a, a huge surge in vote, didn't translate to anything because of our system. But uh, I, I think that you know, for someone like Maxime Bernier to go from uh, you know, nothing, basically, well, he, he go from almost winning the conservative leadership race to starting his own party uh, to, to, I think he got above 5% of the vote, yeah. more than the green, more than the Greens in terms of actual votes. Uh, you know, it's, it's quite the accomplishment. And again, it's too bad <laughs> that, that this is happening. Um, and, and I should also note that I don't even think that all of the supporters that Maxim Bernier has tapped into were all coming from the, the Conservative Party. I know no, they people, weren't. No. Yeah, I know a lot of people who are sort of unaffiliated or who perhaps were more left-leaning. But again, this message Green of freedom. People. Yeah. yeah, this message of freedom really uh, appealed to them. And so I, I salute uh, Bernier for, for that effort and for, for articulating uh, something that's real in society, um, tapping into that frustration and, um, you know, being a standard bearer uh, representative for those people. I think those people deserve to have their voices heard. They deserve to have uh, people in political life rep, uh, re- reflecting their, their values and their opinions. And uh, for that reason, I think uh, Bernie's doing a good job. All that being said, I hope that one day um, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the conservatives, libertarians can make amends and, and uh come back together to, to form a stronger um, coalition against the, the sort of left-wing um, political machine in Canada. Well, I, I've always said that Canada is a great big country, but it's not big enough to have two conservative parties. <laughs> At least not federally. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it, it's a shame. And I would have I would have liked Aaron O'Toole to do more to appeal to uh, both social conservatives and libertarians. I think that that was one of the flaws in his campaign was that he really, uh, you know, his, his strategy was to go moderate, uh, to, to sort of cut out the, the the libertarians, push away the social conservatives, sort of say, I'm done with that, uh, wipe his hands and try to appeal to the sort of more progressive liberal uh, values of, of moderates. And judging from the election map last night, uh, you know, if I'm being kind, I can say, look, Canadians weren't paying attention. If I'm being more critical, I can say the strategy failed. It completely failed. Um, we didn't make inroads. The conservatives didn't make inroads in the 905. They actually lost two seats in the 905 in the suburban belts around Toronto. Uh, they got completely shut out and uh, decimated in Vancouver and the lower mainland, um, including losing um, seats like Richmond. Uh, right. Serves one for a while. They didn't even come close in the North Shore. The Conservatives used to win pretty handily on the North Shore in Vancouver, and they didn't even come close this time around. Uh, barely any changes whatsoever in Quebec. I don't think that they picked up a single uh, seat uh, from from the numbers right now. So it's like you know this entire campaign seemed to be trying to appeal to folks in Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto, and yet the results didn't show. So so what was the point of it all? You have a lot of conservatives feeling uh, underrepresented, alienated. Uh, they don't feel like the party's really sh- showing their values and, and reflecting their values anymore. They don't feel uh, part of the party. And yet um, it wasn't, the trade-off wasn't there because it's not like we picked up a bunch of seats in Toronto and say, okay, well, right. uh, let's um, let's keep going with this. So I, th- I think Aaron O'Toole is in a really tough position right now. And you're, you're kind of already seeing the 
and I don't know if the knives are coming out, but you're seeing um, the sort of uh, people in uh, O'Toole's inner circle uh, doing damage control, saying, right. oh, this is a win for us. And, uh, you know, we're only getting started. And O'Toole, make, well, make Andrew Shear said the same thing. I remember exactly the same wording uh, after the last election. We, we won the popular vote. We, we were, you know, we're we've got a lot to be proud of. We're, we're almost there kind of thing. Right, exactly. And, but, but when you look at the difference between, uh, so, so, so going from 2015 to 2019, uh, Andrew Scheer knocked Trudeau from majority to minority status, um, and he picked up, I think, about 20 seats. Right. Uh, so so you, could, you could call that a victory. You could say, sure. okay, it's, it's a reduced uh, Trudeau government. We can hold them account more. We can, we can um, get peop- more people in the committees. We, we can do more um, in Ottawa in a minority situation. Uh, whereas the difference between 2019 and 2021, uh, it's a wash. It's, it's basically the same. Otto didn't pick up seats. Uh, he may have picked up a little bit in the popular vote, but I don't think that that really matters in Canadian politics, to be frank. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of in this weird situation where conservatives have to uh, really, ha- I think, have a, have a really honest conversation and say, is this really the direction that we want to go? Do we want to be a centrist party that doesn't have room for social conservatives, doesn't have room for libertarians, and we kind of just offer a um, alternative to the liberal government in terms of we can be better managers. We can better manage the government. Um, and when it comes to our agenda, it, it'll be a little bit more fiscally conservative, uh, but m- more, more or less it'll be a sort of um, moderate sort of big government proposal. Is, is that really what conservatives want in this country? Is that, is that the direction that we have to go in? Um, is that the only way to win? Uh, I think these are the questions that conservatives really need to be uh, asking themselves. This is a conversation that we need to be having right now. I'm going to leave the last question to Jody, but my last question is, so where where do we go from here? I mean, and I mean that in the broadest sense, because the liberals have their own internal inconsistencies and uh, dilemmas that they've got to deal with as well. Uh, they've got a prime minister who's who's only good for two minorities in a row now. And uh, and I'm sure there are people within that party that are chomping at the bit to take over as leader of that party. And uh, you've got Jagmeet Singh, who, uh, again, uh, his, his claim to fame is uh, the, the TikTok generation uh, are with him, but it didn't translate it into maybe a half a dozen seats uh, more. That's about it. So not a lot of people can, uh, can uh, be doing a victory dance after the election. No, we all lost. We all, the, the whole country lost last night, Tony, or in the election. I mean, it's like, you know, everyone's more divided. Uh, we're seeing a lot, a lot of that sort of anger. I, I think that there were some polls saying that uh, four in 10 Canadians had a severe, um, severely disliked Justin Trudeau. So, you, you know, you have ha- half the country that just hate the prime minister, basically, um, right. and then divides within each party. Like you said, I think that within the Liberal Party, a, a lot of people didn't want the election. Uh, a lot of people who, who are, are liberals, you know, the thing that they're worried about is COVID and they, they wouldn't have wanted an election in the middle of COVID, especially uh, after you know, Trudeau had said before that he didn't want one either. Uh, so, so you're right, there's there's divisions everywhere. And I, I don't think that the Conservative uh, Party is, is the worst of them all. I think that the Liberals are probably in a worse position um, just given what they did to the country and how they have to explain right. it for it. Um, but I think that when it comes to the, the very purpose of the Conservative Party, um, you know, if, if we're not going to have someone out there defending conservative values, pushing um, the conservative worldview and defending conservatism in the media, in politics, um, and, and and really kind of un- unapologetically conservative, I, I think you're going to lose a, a lot of excitement, a lot of interest, and wouldn't be surprised if the uh, party splits or, or 
or if more and more people head over to a, a libertarian alternative. Jody Jenkins, the last word. I, I don't really have any last words. Honestly, I've just been listening and uh, Candace and uh, my views and yours line up beautifully. So I, I, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. And I mean, obviously, I was just reading a CBC article. Uh, and it pains me to say Shame that. on you. I know. It <laughs> <laughs> pains me to say that. Trust me. Um, and, you know, even after that fiery speech that uh, Aaron gave last night, which didn't come, I don't think it came across well, but uh, he was trying. Um, he's now ducking questions about the future of his leadership. So he's not even answering those questions right now, which uh, makes sense. But I, I think, I don't know. I think time is short for him. I don't want to name any names, Pierre Polyev, but uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Former right? guest. Holds. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I will say one one bright spot for me last night was that uh, Leslie Lewis got elected. Uh, yeah. So she will yes. be an MP and she'll be in Parliament. I think she's a great uh, addition to the Conservative caucus, and I'm excited to see what she's going to do in Ottawa. Lot, but the other thing you got to point out, too, and again, I hate to harp on, on Aaron, uh, but I mean, we lost some good people. I got, I, am I right? Did Tamara Jansen lose as well? I'm not sure about that one, but yeah, I know Leona lost. Um, you, you had uh, Jonas Smith up in the Yukon, which I, I don't really understand why he wasn't permitted to run, but last minute they yanked yeah, the nomination, and then he ended up splitting the vote with the conservative that they put in there. So there was definitely some weird, um, unfortunate missteps that, that led to good people not being elected. Yeah, no, it's uh... well, lots to lots to discuss in the hallways of the Conservative Party of Canada for sure. And I, I hope that any liberal listeners are not too sanguine because I think there are a bunch of problems and issues piling up in the Liberal Party of Canada at the same time, different but also uh, acute. So, uh, uh, politics doesn't go away just because the election's over, right, Candace? No, it never goes away, and which is why we all have, uh, you know, employment and why, why, <laughs> we, why we all work. So. Hey, well, one worst, last worst. thing before you go, I got to ask, uh, what, what grade would you give the legacy media in covering this campaign? Well, I, I, so I have very low expectations for the media. I thought that the debates were a total disservice to the entire country. Uh, I, I think that the media were a little bit nicer to Aaron O'Toole than they had been to Aaron uh, to, to Andrew Scheer, uh, but they still didn't treat him very nicely. They didn't treat him with respect. So I, I, I think in the last election, uh, Tony, I would have given them an F. Uh, maybe this election they get a D. Okay. On that note, we're going to let Candace go. Candace, thank you so much for joining and another thing podcast. Very interesting program as we uh, uh, sort through the tea leaves a little bit and uh, figure out what the heck happened for 36 days or so. Uh, thank you and be well. All right. Thank you so much. Excellent conversation. Excellent insights from Candace. And yeah, not much I can disagree with her on her analysis of the election. So that was, that was yeah. good to hear. Yeah. A lot, lots to think about there. Uh, I, I'd like to thank Candace for my uh, political therapy in that session, just going over what the heck happened and uh, trying to uh, figure it all out. Uh, she, she has a lot of good insights and we wish her well with her uh, media uh, outlet and uh, all the work that she's doing in the conservative movement. Yeah, one thing I was going to say, kind of tongue-in-cheek, is that, uh, again, I was looking at some of the articles coming out about the cabinet shuffle with Jason Kenney. Uh, maybe Aaron and Jason can just swap spots and they can try out different roles or something. <laughs> yeah, oh, my it God. Appears, it appears 
that Jason Kenny is in for a fight and it yeah. looks like he might be stacking the cabinet with people that might want to fight alongside him. So it's uh, it's a crazy world to be in politics now. You and I have talked about that. Uh, yeah. It's not a pleasant time to be a politician. I don't care what your what your point of view is, and uh, you know, uh, I'm sure that uh, Maxime Bernier is feeling good about what he was able to accomplish in the election. But you know, he doesn't have a seat, and uh, you know, there's all these you can, for all the positives you can put out, there'd be another long line of negatives. So. Um, uh, we, uh, but I do want to thank everybody who participated in the election, regardless of political stripe. But you, you know, Jody and I know, you know how tough it is to be a candidate at the best of times, and this wasn't the best of times. No, and it was it was unfortunate. And you know, if I'm being honest, I I didn't give an exact number of seats that I thought would come through for us. But you know how Candace mentioned about she felt the campaign ran a safe. Yeah. campaign that didn't go after media headlines or didn't want the negative headline, which right. I totally agree. That's yeah, that is actually what Fair. I saw happening. Fair. And I thought it I part of me thought that might work. I literally I literally am surprised that we lost seats as of right now. I thought we might get like 125, 130 because I just thought that positive spin, you know, I'm not trying to give Aaron too much credit, but I thought that that would work. But then yeah. When you see the results last night, I'm like, it's not, it's, it's not resonating. Like we were, it, I don't know what, what the answer is, well, but it's you, not you resonating. were saying it for, for weeks and Candace said it on our program. Not a lot of people were paying that much attention. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, everyone loves a villain or everyone loves to cheer against a villain and root against a villain and Trudeau is a villain. But in that scenario, you need a hero. And mm -hmm. unfortunately we don't have that yet in the conservative party. Well, so hopefully it shows uh, up soon. That's why we can continue our podcast. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, hopefully they never figure that out because then we're in big trouble. Then we're in big trouble. <laughs> but uh, I, listen, it's uh, great to it's great to have had these debates with you over the last few weeks on this, Jody, and to have some of our guests in on this. And uh, we will continue to follow the story. But as usual, at and another thing podcast, we're going to go beyond. You know, we're not just a political podcast. You know, some are, but we're we look at the broader social trends as well. So we've got some interesting guests coming up. Yeah, and I should say as well that our 100th episode is coming up. So Yeah, our next episode exciting. is 100, my friend. Yeah, so that'll be exciting. We You've have some... got something special planned. Is it a cake? <laughs> no, no. You know I might get planned. a cake for myself, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll you have can... a, a Dairy Queen Blizzard. Oh, actually, that sounds like a... That sounds like a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Big shout out to uh, Municipal Solutions, obviously uh, our main partner, uh, supporting us and presenting this show each week. You can find them at municipalsolutions.ca. And don't forget to check out looneypolitics.com for exclusive content. Use the code podcast to get 50% off your annual subscription. Tony, we will do this again in seven days. Number 100 coming up. I'm looking forward to it.